Welcome to the Canicurio podcast powered by Cannabis Media. I'm your host, Ed Keating, and on today's show, we're joined by Jacques Santucci, the president of Opus Consulting. Jacques, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's good to do this. We've known each other for years. I, I can't think how many times we've run into each other at trade shows in the last, well, at least for me, like eight, nine years. It's It's been many yeah. times in many cities. Yes, for sure. Yeah, you and I, we, we meet most of the time in conferences around the country. Exactly. We're well-traveled. Well, speaking of well-traveled, you've had such an interesting you career. You've had such an interesting when... career that I wanted to dig into. You started at Ernst & Young. You've been an early main license holder. You've been software CEO, and now you're running a consulting company. So how did we get here? Like, and how did you land in cannabis after sort of all those interesting things? Yeah. And I skipped over, you know, half the places you landed at. Yeah, no, for sure. So I'm originally from France. I moved to the U.S. Uh, almost 25 years ago now when the French English company bought a company in the U.S., not thinking I would stay. Just, you know, one of those couple of years move. I started my career after college at Ernst & Young, uh, worked at Universal Picture in France as a controller and then uh, part of a team that was buying rights uh, on, on the on the video. Uh, it's going to age us a little bit on the DVD side. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, um, moved to uh, the US uh, uh, 20, almost 25 years ago. And then I started Opus Consulting almost 15 years ago now. Uh, I was doing some uh, business consulting before and then I went on my own uh, in 2009. And uh, so that's how I ended up, you know, uh, working in that professional service realm, um, okay. uh, business strategy and uh, and all the related business management uh, things. Uh, uh, I live in Maine and Maine is the first state who passed the medical uh, marijuana laws first in 1999, but not much really was implemented. But in 2009, huh. for sure, there was a referendum. And then a, a license process in 2010, and uh, I was part of a team that applied uh, to get one of the eight licenses. In 2010, we got four licenses, and then we started a company called Wellness Connection of Maine. Uh, four stores. Uh, we ended up building a, a, a grow, uh, grow side, uh, production side, extraction, uh, packaging, uh, 45,000 square feet. And then uh, we, you know, first store opened late 2011. Uh, most of the store opened in the spring 2012. And then we continued uh, uh, to grow the company. Um, so, then- so, so what was that like? I mean, with, with eight, eight stores in the state and you had four of them, you know, what was it like, you know, having that much market power, if that's the right word? Yeah, well, yes, market power, I guess. But, you know, uh, you got to think, though, that the market was more or less there, right, with the, uh, the illicit market at the time. Two, uh, we were the only one up uh, on the uh, northeast, and uh, there was no benchmark for us. And I didn't come from the um, um, activist side of the cannabis industry, so mm-hmm. I was not aware too much of, about uh, what was happening then. So I actually, you know, traveled and educated myself. And then when we started wellness uh, uh, and then we raised the capital, uh, w- we made an effort to apply uh, 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 business basics and then have a good business plan. And uh, and we, you know, uh, looked at, uh, you know, all the benchmark. 
I have to admit, though, if I look back, and I did a few years ago, when I look back at, at the at our plans from 2010, <laughs> it was not exactly right. But you know, I didn't know. Nobody knew actually, right? And we we had a lot of people telling us, and but at least he gave us a good guidelines. And then every month, every quarter, every year, we realigned the strategy. We also it was interesting from a, a, a customer standpoint. Uh, people were coming to us to find medical cannabis. And um, I was at the uh, store and uh, where our small headquarters was at the time every morning, right? 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Some people were waiting outside and they got to know me and they were telling me their stories. And mm. I was convinced before, but after talking to those customers and seeing what we were bringing to them from the medical standpoint, it, it, it was more of a, you know, it became really a, a passion, right? There was the business yeah. side, but really making it right was very important. So, so, at that time, and probably even to now, I think there's been a, an enormous uh, collection of caregivers in the state. And some of them went from sort of growing it for others to essentially running big stores, yeah. kind of unlicensed, like thousands of them. How did you navigate as you know one of those early license holders? Because it's sort of like a different set of rules for each group from what I've read. Yeah, no, that's definitely the case. And from the license perspective that you have, it's definitely the case. From our business standpoint, uh, I, I didn't really pay attention to it because, you know, Maine is a big state. New, not, nobody else in New England had uh, stores at the time. What really was important for us was uh, quality of product, uh, good good staff, good experience, good stores, and and be a model, which we ended up being. I think, you know, the the... the uh, invest, investment pool that we had were all interested in our approach to this business, but really was very important was doing it right. And so, uh, you know, I don't think I'll get the credit, but, you know, I put my suit and tie and then went to talk to bankers to explain to them at the time, this is what's happening. Those are the rules and, uh, you know, talk to credit unions so they could open uh, their door to us. Same for insurance. Uh, when, you know, there's a lot of myth in the industry, but in 2011, when we late 2011, when we opened the store, mm -hmm. we had health insurance in place. We had 401k in place. We had uh, PTO, everything. And because uh, to me, it wasn't it was it, it is a business. It has to be done properly. The staff has to be uh, that will, um, you know, uh, treated uh, correctly. Same from from an administrative standpoint, we invested in our accounting system and uh, and uh, and how we were. Uh, tracking the inventory. We didn't have metric at the time, right? And there was no, yeah. actually, even in Maine, uh, uh, medical still doesn't have metric and mm -hmm. there's no testing. Um, but, um, and then, you know, from the customer standpoint, you know, we had a, uh, we invested in the point of sales. Uh, I, I, at the time, everybody was using MJ, uh, MJ Freeway. And uh, I looked at it and was like, um, no, that doesn't that doesn't cut it for us. So we we actually went outside of the cannabis industry and found uh, a point of sale system that would could give us enough data, and mm -hmm. uh, and then we went from there. Wow. So so it's interesting. So you know you you have this early sort of corporate background. You you have consulting and you you land in this cannabis space, and with all that on the ground experience is that what steered the direction of opus to be what i'm guessing more focused on the cannabis industry now yeah so opus when when uh, i started was uh, like i mentioned earlier uh, business management turnarounds mm -hmm. of companies i mean 2008 2011 right there was sort of a, a, a struggling companies so turnarounds 
yeah. uh, helping people with performance management, interim management. And, uh, and then uh, got focused on, on this project. By 2013, uh, some of our uh, partners here uh, started to be interested in other states. And at the time, Massachusetts was starting to open. Rhode Island was already open. Uh, Connecticut was coming online. And uh, our uh, partners were involved in all those states. So started to uh, develop a practice on licensing uh, mm -hmm. from 2013 to, I mean, even now we still do licenses in New York and New Jersey. But at the time, you know, um, if you remember, right, licensing was, you know, that much documents. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was weeks yeah. of work. And so we've done licenses in, in all the New England states. And then we actually started to do uh, licenses outside of New England. Uh, we did licenses in Hawaii, Ohio, and, and every state that we're opening. And that's really what uh, uh, got us out of, uh, um, uh, got Opus on, on a focus on licensing. Then, you know, same, same groups were asking us for business strategy and modeling. Yep. And we had the data, we had the knowledge, we knew the ins and outs, and then led to uh, people asking us to start companies for them. Uh, you know, uh, kind of a, being the staff before we hire the staff, SOPs, uh, right. branding, and then, uh, and then and, now and, and we Jack, have... Real quick. Now, did you guys stand apart from others in the industry who came in with, let's say, more of an advocacy background from a consulting standpoint or more just construction, let's say, because I know a lot of people from the construction yeah. industry sort of moved in that way. And it seems like you were coming in with a much more holistic sort of business yes. first approach. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, cannabis industry, we, we built uh, to your example, right? The construction part, we've been construction manager or, or owner's rep, right? For growth sites or buying equipment or so, uh, retail stores and things like this. But that, you know, for us, it's more, you're right, in a holistic approach, more of a global approach. If you don't, you know, if you don't have the, the right talent and you cannot control the different pieces of that project, then, then you're going to miss something. So sometimes we end up, you know, working with other people on those, pro on, on particular part of the project. But uh, our approach is more, on the management level and then going down to the operation and bringing the talent if we need to. Yeah. So, so one interesting area that we've talked a lot about offline uh, and, and I studied in a past role in sort of human resource uh, compliance is a market segment that, that you've had some success in, which is working with tribes and, and that has, just a whole different set of rules about it, what they can do. And also from the like HR standpoint, who can work in there, the hours they get. So, so tell us what that's been like, because that's a pretty unique um, market segment with these, you know, 580 some yeah. sovereign nations that could yeah. all run cannabis operations. Yeah. And I think it's, it's uh, a, a good continuity with the way we approach business and approach our client. Uh, we're really a, a, a niche boutique, you know, consulting firm. Right. And uh, outside of cannabis, you know, we started to work with uh, a tribe here in Maine and they became good partners of ours. And they asked us to help them with uh, various uh, projects outside of cannabis. Mm -hmm. They were interested in, in cannabis, but just, you know, uh, Maine is a very particular uh, market for tribes. But we, we learned uh, what are the challenges what are their, their options and opportunities? And that led us to uh, talk to other tribes thank, with their help and then with the, the, some of their partners too. 
and to develop a prod, uh, I guess, a, a offering, right, a service offering, to tribes where uh, we help them with a feasibility study, and if they decide, we can be the business developer in the sense just like a, a real estate business developer uh-huh. where we help them start the business tribes tribes have very specific opportunities with the sovereignty not every state and not every tribe tribes has it but they have they can have sovereignty they can create their own rules they have access to land or locations that others don't have uh, they may have access to capital that others don't have or at least options and um but they don't know most of the time about the, the, how to create the industry or create the, 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 the market, create the company. So some bigger cannabis company approach them and they're really looking at them as a, as a landlord. We approach them as a partner where mm-hmm. we don't want to own the business. We just, you know, uh, we are just compensated based on our effort and our work. So uh, we can bring all our expertise, all our partners, all our knowledge, and then work with them to create a company that can can be sustainable without us after, you know, one, two, three years, whatever the project is. Right. Huh. Well, interesting, because I think it was, wasn't it in New York where one of those big MSOs sort of walked away from a tribal relationship recently? Yeah, yeah, Tilt, Tilt, and the Shinnecock Nation uh, had a, a fallout. I, I don't know about the details, so I can't really talk about yeah, it. Yeah. But that would be a good example. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and well, and there's a difference of being a partner versus not. Now, one thing that's always intrigued me about the the, the tribes, and and you know, as we look at licenses in states, or actually, when the regulations get passed. We used to joke that the first people that ran in there were the testing labs. Some franchise would be like, I'm going to test in this state. But now what we see is it's often the tribes who are first in line to say, we're going to open a store tomorrow. And they do it. So like in New York, Minnesota, um, I think one of the Carolinas, it just happens really fast. And, and, you know, is that I'm assuming it's because they don't have to really contend with all the rules. They've already got all those things that you said. They have access to capital land i would not say it like this i would not say it like this because all the tribes i've been working with they're not trying to cut corners Mm. right so for example we work with the seneca nation upstate new york Mm, and uh, we did a feasibility study for them and we uh, showed them what is the industry what is the path right how can you do it they made they they made their own decision Uh, but they don't have to be within the new york uh, program Right. Well, that said, they hired uh, regulators, they hired uh, lawyers to create a, a regulation that really uh, is an, a good example of, of what a, a small nation, right? Because a tribe is a small, uh, small nation, uh, right. well, small nation can implement. And so the, uh, the store that uh, we opened and then we're building a, a facility for them now, a, a production facility, is, is following the um the rules that any other businesses should follow right so the store has everything else but they don't have to wait for the license from new york and they don't have to you know go through the craziness of the bureaucracy of the of the new york program well and that's a good thing so speaking of programs and bureaucracy and and pulling back a little bit from from the tribal side of things you know as as we 
have looked at states since we started tracking licenses, you know, one of the clearest dichotomies is those states that are limited licensed versus those that are free for alls. There aren't many free for alls, but some, you know, still exist out there. Uh, I'm curious with your perspective as somebody who ran a, a, a licensed business and who's consulted with many, you know, how do you see those two markets shaping up, especially as the industry matures? I mean, you talked about Maine starting in 1999. That was a long time ago. So, uh, you know, mm -hmm. how, how does this play out in terms of the different kinds of markets we can expect? Yeah, even 2009, when really the market started here, or, or even, you know, Massachusetts, Massachusetts is almost, what, 10 years now, right? I think it's uh, was in 2014. So those markets are starting really to mature. So from a from a philosophical standpoint, you know, uh, uh, it seems okay, you know, if there's an unlimited license. But from a business standpoint, it feels like it, it's difficult. The the industry is uh, it's a hard industry, right? A lot of people thought it was very easy. It is it is hard. You have so many things against you, from capital to taxes, from talent to you know uh, regulations. If on top of that, you have to deal with a, 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 a crazy competition from, from a regulatory standpoint, and on top of that, from a crazy competition from the illicit market, then it's like, it's like a multidimensional, uh, 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 always moving market. Yeah. It, it feels like, to me, that the uh, states will be much better to have limited licenses that they expand over time or towns, right? Because cities are doing the same thing. Instead of having 10, 10 licenses in a small city, how about we just start with two? And then and then we add two more two years later or a year later. And then it gives a chance to every businesses to uh, get on good footings and then grow. Because at the end, when there's too much competition, it doesn't help the industry for sure. It right. doesn't help the, the business and doesn't help the employees. It doesn't help the customers. And, and then at the end, the town is then uh, uh, viewed as as one of those uh, cannabis towns where nothing is happening. So yeah. I, I think there's something to say about uh, let's limit. Let's uh, and let's look at what what's needed. And I have the same same conversation. Uh, uh, I can have the same conversation about vertically integrated versus non vertically integrated. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, every state wanted to have vertically integrated. And it's a very difficult business. You know, you go from, from a, a, a cultivator, uh, a scientist for the extraction, packaging, logistics, uh, then retail. I mean, it's a lot of talent for a startup. Very, yeah, very, very different skill sets. And, and yes. not everybody's going to be good at all of them. No, and you can't. You can't. So, so uh, if you put on top of that all the other issues of cap access to capital and taxes, it's a lot of layers of difficulty for right. a, a, a really new industry. Well, like, you know, I, I always looked at it in, in the states of um, New York and Florida when there are medical programs only, and Florida still is. If you're the regulator, it's really easy to only have 10 registered organizations in New York. That's just 10 phone calls. It's same thing down in Florida where they had like, you know, 18 or something, but originally, you know, nine or 15 it's a lot easier to manage your industry when you keep it so constrained, but is it really best for the market? Probably not. I mean, it's, it's a lot of government intervention there. Um, you know, I look at Connecticut in terms of, you know, at least how they used to do their liquor stores. It was supposed to be roughly population based. Like you don't want to have 60 stores in a little town. It should be based on, you know, how many hundred thousand or something like that. So it's not like we don't see that elsewhere or in Arizona where I think they still peg the number of dispensaries 
to the number of pharmacies in the state. And it's like a one to 10 relationship or something like that. So, so yeah, there's certainly public policy out there that supports, you know, what, what you just recommended. Yeah. And, and on, on top of that, we're going to keep in mind that the market is still growing with new customers that never been to a store before. Cause right. I think the, the people have been buying, you know, uh, uh, cannabis since high school, they still going to come and then they have their place. The market is not growing with, with, with that. I don't think the, the market is growing right. with those buyers. It's growing with new buyers, new type of buyers, new type of products, you know, uh, new type of drinks, vapes, whatever it is. Uh, it's hard to invest in new products, new experience for the store, new payment solutions, new everything. Right. Uh, to to explain to the customers, you know, this is not what you think it is. It's it is it is beneficial to you, and 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 at the same time, you have to compete with you know uh, twenty five other stores, forty other stores. Uh, not even counting the illicit market. It, it, I mean, no, no surprise that some some companies right now are and yeah, and the hemp market too. You know, I mean, yes, those, those cannabinoids too. So a lot of this, what you talked about, has led to you know some of the challenges that we're in now as an industry. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about this, and I'm curious, given your one-to-many relationship with people out in the industry. You know, what challenges are your clients contending with? I mean, you've outlined a couple of them already there, just sort of all this, this vast challenge. Anything else out there that's really making it hard for them to succeed? Um, well, I think so. Everybody's talking this year, and I think next year is going to be even uh, worse, that, you know, uh, that the, the cannabis industry is struggling. The cannabis market is still growing. And yeah. that means there's more people buying new products at new locations and in general the, the 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 pie is growing what's happening is that the um uh what's happening is that the um the companies i think are, are now catching up with the reality of what the business should have been and 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 when you know companies started in massachusetts three years ago uh, uh, starting their cultivation, I'm using uh, um, Massachusetts as an example, uh, looking at the, the market and thinking that it's going to stay at 4000 a pound for a long time and not looking at uh, their cost of goods. Most cannabis companies, for example, have no idea what their cost of goods are. I mean, they may as, as a total every month, but not by the items. Mm. Uh, well, I think what's happening now is... Uh, it, it, that's where it's struggling because the price are coming down. Uh, new buyers are coming. They're asking for better product at a lower price. And I don't think the industries, uh, uh, a lot of companies have been ready to handle this. That said, I know some companies that are very well positioned to continue their growth. They, they thought about it. They, they, they've been ready and, uh, and they're going to continue to grow. And we may see, you know, some, some companies that uh, didn't, you know, uh, prepare for it. And they don't have the talent or they don't have the right business approach or they don't have the right data they're not talking to you to know about what's happening with licenses yeah and uh, and uh, they're going to struggle so um now looking at another specific part of the of the cannabis ecosystem is you know sort of the ancillary space and we have a lot of customers who are in the software space you know they use us because they want to know where the licenses are where the licenses aren't how things have changed they want to contact people so i'm with all the M&A that's happened there, I'm curious, you know, is it suffering from the same 
oversupply that we've seen in other parts of the industry where there's just too many providers all trying to make it big. Um, and, and, you know, what did you see I, also when you were running Streamo, which was, you know, in that space? Yeah, no, I was in that space. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, the, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I've seen is that there was not enough technology for cost accounting and then getting data all in the same platforms to make good decisions. And uh, what I'm finding out now is that I think the industry was not ready to pay for it. And I think that some of those software companies went probably too fast, uh, too expensive, uh, uh, thinking that the, the, the clients will pay and will be there forever. Um, and what I'm finding out now, I think what's happening is that everybody's uh, getting their, you know, shrinking their budgets and then uh, reallocating uh, their, their budgets to very specific parts of, of of their uh, PNL, and um, and then at the end, some of the software uh, might not have been ready to have their you know a recurring business or recurring you know revenue uh, decrease. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's some good technology out there uh, that uh, are you know um, I'm hoping they're going to continue and, and to survive. I think in the next couple of years, going to be pretty uh, um, uh, rocky. But hopefully, you know, I, I know this. I mean, you know them too. There's there's a few softwares where the CEO knows exactly uh, what's happening. They on they on the on the ground. They're talking to people. They're evolving, and I think those will be the winner. And then if you look back, actually, uh, the the POSs that everybody was using ten years ago, I, you know, they they're not doing that good. And right. uh, and then not much money in that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now. Um... Even metric, even metric, I read, I think it was last week, even metric just realized that their client is not the government, but their client are the users. I'm like, huh, that's innovative. I never thought about this one. And, uh, and so now they're trying to listen to what people that are using it every day wants to see, wants to know. I, you know, I, th I think it's a good move. And, and um, for example... Yeah, yeah. I, I was at the PBC conference uh, a few weeks ago in DC, and the CEO uh, of, of Metric was there, and he shared that he spends at least a week on the phone being a customer service agent for the company, and they get a, a ridiculous number of phone calls coming in because people don't call the state, they call Metric, and yeah, of course. they they are the front line for so much. So I, I think that that kind of listening tour that he's been on has been very illuminating, and you know I applaud them for doing that because it, it, yes. it's how to find out. It's, you know some of the stuff you just described, and in your experience, where you know you guys have been doing that, and operators have been yeah. doing that as well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know the the users. I've been the one paying uh, those softwares, right? Even if it's through yeah. the government and the users are the one that are entering the data. So sure, it, it is for compliance and it's got to go through the government, whatever it is. But um, really, you know, uh, taking care of the, the final user is where the success of the software, the platform is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, uh, we already touched on sort of like, where's the industry? And, and you think that there's definitely still some time for things to shake out. I've just heard that, you know, once again, there's been a bumper crop of cannabis, which will depress prices probably even more. But, you know, looking forward, you know, I always like to ask guests on the podcast, sort of what trends that we should be looking out for. Uh, and one, one, and this isn't really a trend so much as an impact, but do you think the federal government is going to get us safe, safer, safest banking? Or do you think that rescheduling, you know, may occur to, uh, you know, from from one to three in terms of you know how cannabis is treated, uh, you know it feels like I've been 
I've been asked the questions for what six, seven years now, <laughs> and then we talk about it on a regular basis. Uh, so I, I would not bet on it. Uh, I am not even sure that the descheduling is really the panacea that people think it is. Mm. Uh, it, it might create, it might open some other doors that uh, probably are better uh, closed. Um, <laughs> I think, I think the uh, the uh, safer act. Well, let's put it this way: resolving the banking access to banking and resolving the taxes is, I think, the the number one and two things that we have to resolve. This is a young industry. A lot of companies only started in the past couple of years. They're very fragile. Some may have been longer than this, but they still are not that strong. And uh, uh, the things that really uh, slow them down is being able to have uh, a good banking, potentially even lending uh, uh, if they need to, uh, mm-hmm. line of credits. And then on the other side, the, the taxes, right? Oh. It, it it costs so much money uh you know, to administrate the 280E and find the right uh, um, uh, uh, strategy. I don't want to give any uh, uh, ideas here, To but, you know, at the end, it might be almost easier to get rid of 280E and just put a small tax, extra tax, on every cannabis companies that at least, you know, maybe give a bit more money or something. But, you know, at least let's be everybody on the same on the same platform, right? And, uh, and, and that thing's going to help have uh, better companies, better better uh, benefits to the to the uh, to the employees, uh, uh, better access to R and D, uh, better products, and then at the end the customer and the and, and the tax uh, uh, offices or agencies will will benefit from it. Got it. No, I I think you're absolutely right, and you know it's going to be challenging to see how this industry breaks through. And, you know, if that 280E tax relief comes through, um, I, I think it was truly just uh, tried to call back some of their tax payments, you know, saying that, you know, they're sort of owed this if, if I read it correctly. So, uh, you know, sort of going back to your, you know, good operations, record keeping, et cetera, they're just trying to run a good business. It's going to generate um, uh, a lot of cash, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and, and r- running running a, a business just based on the on your cash balance is not a good strategy. So I'm hoping that you know uh, what's happening in in a few states, and there's good again there's good companies out there and good examples. Right, it's going to show that people are going to invest in in their in their, in their talent, in their uh, accounting systems, in their data, so they can make the right decisions. They can be ahead of the game, and that's that's going to benefit the, the entire industry. And, and in terms of like looking forward to where the industry goes, I mean, besides the doom and gloom, you've talked about how there's going to be a change in customer acquisition. And, and is that driven based on the products that will be offered or how that customer is going to change as we all get used to having cannabis stores across the country like we have liquor stores? Yeah. How, how do you see that playing out? Because that was an interesting trend how, you highlighted. How about coffee shops, right? We. Right. We all drive around and it feels like there's more coffee shop than there is gas station. And um, um, so and then we can all get a coffee at home at, at that gas station at, at a regular coffee mm-hmm. shop or a Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts of sorts. And the price goes from 25 cents to six dollars. But at the end, we all buy that the same same coffee. And um, so I, I think the the the, uh, the the trend here is the the product is kind of the same. And I know people don't, don't like it when I say this, 
but you know it's still just like buying a coffee is a hot uh drink buying cannabis is 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 people are buying it for 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 what it is so when you get to a store that is uh sterile or has got no experience in it when you go to a store where there's so many products that even uh, you know uh, people that are in the industry sometimes don't make the difference between the, the products because you have too many vapes, too many gummies, too many things. Uh, I don't think it's. I, I think that's going to end. The other thing too, with too many discounts. So you need to you know you need to understand which who you are to try to sneak in for to get a ten percent discount. In, there's no other industries that are so that's complicated. So I know there's a brand play and things like this, but I'm hoping that we're going to start seeing less product in stores, better portfolio of products, better better R&D around what the products are, and a better experience. It doesn't have to be, you know, Starbucks or, or the gas station, right, to, to use the same comparison. But you pick pick one, and then your customer is going to follow you. Right. It, it sort of takes it back, you know, to where we started this conversation today of, of you know, what do you have to do to succeed? And it goes back to business basics. Are you going to, for example, be the low cost provider? Are you going to be, you know, customer intimacy? Are you going to be operational excellence? You know, pick yeah. maybe two, but ideally you pick one and, and go with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Jacques, thanks so much for joining us today. This was uh, this was a great conversation and uh, yes. it really allowed us to to dig into some things that we don't always have time to on the showroom floor. So uh, so thanks so much for for being here this afternoon. Yes, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk about this industry and always a pleasure to talk to you. And then, you know, thank you for all the work you've done with you and your partners at uh, Cannabis Media. Absolutely. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's 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 the one one time of the year where we all get to Las Vegas. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. I'm your host, Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault.